0: is just a little bit wingy.
1: Wingy. And a big shout out to Wingy as well. Real hardcore. I like Wingy. Posts his predictions and things up. I like Wingy. He's good. I like people like that a little bit off the cuff. He's just the biggest boxing that I've ever met.
0: Came to London looking for static and ain't nobody say nothing. And he'll jump. Let's go, champ. Have a good day. Wing is Boxing Bites what's going on people and we have a very very special guest Sky Sports's Andy Clark oh man this uh this was one of my favorite interviews we talk everything we talk we talk Sky Sports and the matchroom split up we talk the zone. we talk Boxer the new promotional outfit that in the UK, which is replacing Matchroom, so to speak. We talk about the future of boxing. We talk how to score. We even talk about chocolate. We talk about Poirot. If you don't know Poirot, you ain't from back in the day, blood. We talk about everything. It is a really great conversation. The art of emceeing all sorts. I really, really enjoy It's a long one. It's a long one. And Floyd Mayweather keeps continually banging at Andy's door for some reason throughout portions of the interview ignore that he didn't get in spoiler alert check it out shout out to andy clark let's do it wingy boxing for wingy boxing bites podcast i am very very uh, uh i don't know what the word is Happy is not It's not right. It's more than happy. Um, I don't want to say honoured. It sounds cheesy. Pleased. Pleased to have Andy Clark, commentator and pundit for Sky Sports Boxing and co-host of boxing podcast Macklin's Take. Andy Clark, what's going on, my good brother? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. Just, uh, just, I'm a gentleman of
1: leisure today. My wife's just nipped away for... Uh, A kind of top secret business trip would be would be the way I would describe it. She's very nervous about it, but she left about an hour ago, so I've I've got kind of a couple of days just um, left to my own devices in the house. Which is, you know, I'm going to miss her, of course, but at the same
0: time, I'm kind of looking forward to it. So this is a this is a good time. I just thought of something actually. A couple of days, could we do the first ever multi day podcast? Just talk boxing for two days straight, like a marathon. yeah, I think we could probably do that. <laughs> between us, I think we could probably do that. Whether well, then, hold up. Well, how long would keep people engaged? I don't know. Right, um, and we'll, we'll get to your wife later because I might be wanting to try and get a free sample, but for people who don't know what's going on, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later of, of, of her products. Uh, but uh, okay, so picture the scene, people, right? 2018, I'm out there. I'm, I'm a nervous sort of student of the game. Okay, I've got my big first big commentating gig and I'm like, it's all right talking absolute breeze like I do every week, but actually trying to do it in a coherent, professional manner while following fights. How am I going to do this? So I noticed the honourable Mr Andy Clark. I think you would like one of my podcasts at the time. Reached out to him and uh, the, the, the proverbial Mr Miyagi gave me his advice and I just wanted to thank you live for that brother what did you think when I reached out randomly like that (laughs) no I was all
1: for it It, it's people um get in touch with me on LinkedIn and Instagram and stuff like that relatively relatively often and my my rule really is that I always reply and if, if people want to have a chat then then I'll always do it because people did it for me and not everybody but most people did it for me that was that was one thing I found really encouraging when I started was that People in the industry um, were receptive to to a cold call and email or, or whatever, and and happy to have a to have a conversation and have a chat. So so I always I'll always do it. Um, and I knew who you were anyway. I'd, I'd seen you around. So it was yeah, it was a, it was a no brainer. Um, because like you say, it's it's there are just little things about it which you can't possibly know. But if you do know, then you can just tighten things a bit and just make it sound a little bit. A little bit better,
0: basically. Well, it really helped. I just wanted to thank you publicly for that, brother. I appreciate it. All right. So, when there's no boxing or commentating involved at all, what does Andy Clark do? Now's a perfect example. Well, not now because you're talking boxing, but what what do you do outside of any boxing or commentating sort of stuff as a person?
1: I read quite a lot. Uh, I've always been I've always been a big uh, a big reader. Um, I do like film and TV. Uh, I think I've kind of exhausted the things that I wanted to watch over the course of the last 15 months. I like to kind of stay, I, I'm not fanatical about it by any stretch, but I like to I like to stay in, in shape, so I exercise quite a bit. Um, I don't really play sports anymore, I did when I was younger, um, all the time until I, so I was probably about in my in my early twenties, and I realised I've peaked by that point. Um, and then the job came in, and you work weekends, and that that became tricky. But to be honest with you, I don't really ever take too much of a, a break from boxing, even when I've got days uh, to myself. I, I I I love reading about it. Um, there might be a few things that I've kind of bookmarked that I want to that I want to watch. Um, I just find myself kind of gravitating around it pretty much constantly. I think about it a lot and because I want to, I just, I I really, I really enjoy it. It is the dominant factor um, in my, in my life outside of, you know, your family and relationships and things like that. It's, it's the biggest thing by by a long way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's, there's, you know, some people like to take a, a break and get away from their jobs, but, but not me because it's just something i'm really fascinated by Uh, and there's not a day that goes past where the majority of my time is not taken up thinking about boxing and and you know i think i'm you know i think i'm lucky to to have that kind of interest in something and and even you know it's even more fortunate to be able to do it for a for a living so i don't ever try and kind of switch off from boxing because i don't
0: want to It sounds, almost sounds then like I'm talking to a slimmer, much lighter skinned version of myself when you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's true. Some people say that to me, like, oh, what do you do when you're not? And it's like, boxing is sort of always there. And I, I like to always have different sources just so I'm, ready for anything which might sort of come up opportunity-wise. Do you get what I'm saying? So it's, it's always there constantly. So I understand understand what, what what you mean about that. So you started off... Let me, let me know if i got this right. Did you start off on radio stations, then you got into boxing? Talk me through how you got into the game. Yeah, that, that's pretty
1: much what happened. So I left university in summer 1999, came straight down to London with a couple of uh, mates. So I didn't really have any kind of plan. Not having a plan then was... Was totally fine. I, I didn't know many people who did. Uh, the two guys I came down with did actually. They got jobs working for. They were. They studied economics and they had jobs working for, uh, for banks and stuff. So I just kind of hung around uh, with them for five or six weeks. Um, just checked out London really. I didn't know London particularly well and had a bit of a think about what I was going to do. And towards the end of the year, I took a few temping jobs, things like that. But but stuff I knew I didn't want to do. So I wasn't going to get trapped into just staying. And bit by bit, I just thought, well, you know, why not try this? Because people do do this for a living, working in sports broadcasting, I mean. And I just sent off a lot of letters to lots of different places and got replies from Capital, BBC London, and Talksport, because Talksport had just relaunched from Talk Radio to Talksport. And They were looking for people, for runners, basically. Went down and had a chat with a guy called Mike Parry down there, which was a pretty unbelievable experience. I'm not sure if I said anything. He just kind of marched around the room um, (laughs) saying stuff, uh, at the end of which the upshot was that I was going to come in the next Monday, work for Expenses for a while, and we'll see how it went. And and that was the start. Uh, And it was a great place to start because even though it was a national station, it was... It was quite small. There weren't that many people working there. They were kind of learning as they went. We didn't really have any rights for anything, but it was a great atmosphere. It was just really, really good fun. And yeah, I I just, I think the first show I worked on was uh, a show called The Two Max, which was Rob McCaffrey and Alan McAnally. Um, And that was produced by an Australian guy called Gary Burchett, who's just been made head of... uh, cricket basically the star sports covering the IPL and stuff like that so you know he's a very capable bloke and you're just making the tea and and doing the printing and but you were asked to chip in you're asked what you thought about stuff because you're all you're everybody in the room was obsessed with sport and and it just went from there really uh and like I say it was small and you got to do things quickly if you wanted to so I made it known and I did want to get out to games and report on stuff and by the end of the first year I was there I was doing it and maybe a little bit too quickly some some people might might say because at other organizations you never would have got to do something like that as quickly as that but there are plenty of people around to help you out and it is the kind of thing really that that you can practice but but you really just need to get on with it and and everything just went from there everything just went off the off the back of that with the boxing TalkSport did cover big fights when I first got there. I remember going to Lennox Lewis against Franz Bota at the at the London Arena. Uh, Colonel Bob Sheridan was over doing the commentary for us, and, and I remember being a runner on that show and on the breakfast show in the morning. But then they kind of stopped and didn't really do it much. So I knew that with the boxing, I was going to have to wait because we weren't really covering any of it. Uh, You've got to learn how to do the job first and then... Uh, you know, it's a long time before you can really pick and choose what you might do. And it was only when I kind of moved into TV that I thought, right, I think I've done enough now. I've got enough behind me that I can not abandon football, but I can kind of put football to one side and try and pursue boxing. Um, right. Okay.
0: That's pretty much how it went. Did um, <clears throat> Now, when, when I think of you starting at Sky Sports... I, in my mind, you kind of replaced Jim Watt. Is that correct, or is that a different? I'm I'm crossing time scales there. So with Sky, what happened with me basically was that I started commentating on football for Sky
1: in 2010 on Premier League games, three o'clock kickoffs. Not that there really are any anymore, but that there used to be, and they would go out for the world feed and for highlights for Sky. So I started doing that, which was a great gig. And after one season of that, I tried to kind of segue into. Into the boxing department, and an old mate of mine from from Talksport, a guy called Dave Finch, was was working for Sky Boxing. He gave me a good kind of write up. And the first thing I did was, yeah, it was back end of 2011, and I did quite a lot for the next six seven months. I remember doing Anthony Crawler against Derry Mattings as my first main event, and then they signed the exclusive deal with Matchroom, and the number of shows they were doing halved, and there was there was just no room for me really. And over the next three or four years, four or five years after that, I did Sky Every Now and Again, but I did Box Nation, Channel 5, Spike, Loaded TV, IEBA stuff, anything I could get my hands on. And then it was kind of summer 2016, um, Nick Hauling and Jim Watt, um, yeah, left basically. Jim retired. Uh, Nick didn't get his, his contract as, as lead commentator, renewed. Um, Adam Smith, Became lead commentator, and they kind of brought me in at that stage. And it's from that point onwards that I've been more and more heavily involved. So yeah, that was that was yeah. You were you were
0: yeah. You're pretty much right. Because I can remember at the time, people had their (laughs) people had their opinions on Jim. What some liked him, I didn't. I thought he, he was all right. He done he done what he did. Some people weren't happy with the scorecards, and then I just remember you coming in and the actual hardcore, hardcore boxing podcasts, the real guys that really get into it, were actually very complimentary of you saying, we like this guy, he's all right, he's all right. Which leads on to what I I want to ask you next. Do you feel the pressure from boxing heads? Because I remember you, I think you said it on your podcast, that you're built differently where if you get criticism for a scorecard, for example, it doesn't necessarily bother you. Do you feel the pressure like from hardcore boxing heads when you on the mic, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I do, yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, sort of yes and no,
1: really. It's not with commentary. I've been doing that for a really long time, and I know how I do it. I know how I prepare for it, what I put into it, uh, and, and the way I feel it should be done. And so I'm 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 pretty secure on 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 that front. Uh, not everybody's going to like it every week, but I'm fine with that because. My conscience will rest easy, if you like, that I've done it the way that I want to do it. With the scorecards, it's, it's slightly different. I mean, it's the same in that I've got my kind of process. I know what I'm looking for, um, and I'll always be able to explain how I've got what I've got. There's been the odd occasion where I've looked back at a fight. I don't really watch them back. I don't kind of watch them back and to kind of check if I think I was right, because once you're after the event, it's very difficult to do that with any real clear objectivity. Um so I just kind of do it, and then I leave it there. But I know with that, and I knew when I started it that people are going to disagree. But with commentary, people might disagree with with the kind of way you're you're reading the fight, and and that's fine. With, with scorecards, people will violently disagree sometimes. <laughs> violently use the word, yeah. yeah you, usually because they do have some kind of allegiance, and they they can't stand the fact that you're seeing it differently and 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 you're going against their against their fights. So I find with people who watch a lot of boxing, as you you said there, the boxing heads, they they are pretty reasonable, actually. You know, they understand how this sport works. They understand that there are fights where you get a split decision and nobody's really wrong. I mean you, you somebody might be if they're way off one end of the spectrum, but you get a split decision that's a couple of one fifteen, one thirteens, either way, and there's a draw in the middle, or or whatever it is, or you know what I'm saying. They they understand that, that 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 that's that's fine. There's nothing odd about that. That's exactly the kind of thing that can happen. So I, I don't think I think they're pretty reasonable, to be honest. I, I think if they look at you and they believe that you're taking this seriously, they believe that you are doing your due diligence and that you care about it,
0: then I find them, yeah, I think they're uh, you know, they're fair. It's, when it comes to people, when you said violently disagree uh, disagreement in scorecards, the reason I laughed is because you are so correct. And when I'd done like, I done my boxing channel for like 10 years, got 15,000 subscribers, and it got to the point where there was a lot of pressure, not on my scorecard, but even amongst my tiny little circle, I felt like I had to get it right. And the frustration that I had with arguing with people about scorecards is, a lot of the time, when people score a fight or score a round, they're scoring how they feel about the round as opposed to the actual precise punches. So, for example, some uh, like a certain fight, it might look like they're dominating, but they're sitting there like, like the person who's scoring it is sitting there having a beer, talking to their mates, texting. Then it comes to the end. Yeah, he won that fight. It just looked like he was winning it. He won that round. He won that round. But then, when you actually go back and look at the punches that are landing clearly, he might not have necessarily done it. So I try to tell to people, tell people, tell me if you agree or not. You'll know better than I do. You do have to score all three minutes of the round. It's hard, and sometimes what like if you go like the whole uh, Sugar Ray Leonard thing, you might just think of the last uh, bursts at the end what he what, what he used to do in a lot of his fights but you've got to score all three minutes of the round and some people don't. And I find that is a problem in, in scoring debates.
1: Yeah, that that's the problem, which is basically the people who are vehemently voicing their opinion on a fight haven't scored the fight properly. Sometimes they haven't scored it round by round. They'll just watch it. They'll, yeah. they'll get a consensus of what's going on on Twitter or maybe from the TV. They'll wait until the scores come in. They'll wait for the consensus, yeah. which everybody seems <laughs> to think is right. And then they'll just lob out a kind of casual 116 112 and you just, exactly, or, or yeah. something like that and you just think, well did you score that fight round by round because if you didn't and, and pe- people get irritated when you know when you say this when when I've said this before sometimes not everybody but some people if you haven't scored the fact the fight round by round then you have no business commenting commenting on the scores I'm afraid <laughs> I'd say that you have what... no business commenting on the scores and and I know I understand that if you're watching it at home yeah Strictly speaking if I score a fight at home then then what I do is I will mute it for a start because you need to try and recreate the judges condition so I will mute it I'll tear up a piece of paper into 10 or 12 slips however many rounds there are at the end of the round as soon as the round finishes I will make up my mind and write down my score and then I'll go and put that slip of paper over the other side of the room you can't change it you can't take it back you can't watch replays you can't check twitter You can't watch TV. You've got to try and do what the judges do, and you do that round by round by round by round. Then at the end of the fight, you go and get all ten or twelve slips, you add them up, and that is your score. Now, if you want to do that, then fine. I understand that people don't want to do that. If you've paid for a pay per view, people don't want to do that. You know, it's it's not that's. I'm not saying you have to be that rigorous about it, but you do have to score it round by round and a lot of people don't really know how to score a fight and it 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 sounds kind of a bit pompous me saying it uh but they don't they don't and what what i've learned is and i learned this quickly is just to not react to to any of that because sometimes i'll read a comment on on twitter or instagram from someone about a about any score about any fight and and I just think, ah, what you put there, that tells me that you don't really know how to score a fight.
0: I often say <clears> that <throat> sometimes if I'm watching a fight, let's try to think of, a, of an example. I don't know, a, any big fight. Let's say um, uh, Dillian White versus Povetkin too. That's a big fight. I like Dillian White. It's exciting, a lot of tension, although we didn't necessarily need to score it, right? But let's say that fight went 12 rounds, for example, a fight I'm excited about. I'll say, right, I lean toward a certain fighter, but wait until I watch it again because I was turning my head, talking to my missus. I was getting excited. I don't feel it's fair to even comment. And because I do the podcast, people want me to specifically say how I score, you know, how I score a fight. But I'm aware when I'm not zoned in like, if I'm looking at a text, if I'm doing something, and I think, like you said there, that's the problem that people have. That's why we get into this big debate uh, with the scoring. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Look, people forget it's the three minutes, isn't it? You have to, you, you've got to watch it from the start to finish. Yeah, you've got to watch it from start to finish, and you've got to balance
1: out in your mind who you feel has landed the greater tonnage, if you like, of effective punches during the course of the fight, because during the course of the round, and you're judging three individuals. um 12 individual three-minute fights if it's a 12-round fight. What happens in one round has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on how you score another. Because sometimes, say someone's taken the first four or five rounds, then the other fighter has their best round of the fight in the sixth. Quite often, people will then score that round to that fighter. Just because they've done better, it doesn't mean they've necessarily won. So you have to reset at the start of each round. Like you've never seen these two people before, and that's how you do it. That is the only way to do it. Now, making the assessment of who has landed that greater tonnage, I think about it in terms of energy bars, basically in, on a computer game. Now you, we're talking. You, yeah, yeah. You were You erode your opponent's energy bar by punching them to the body, to the head, clean, not clean. And it's up to you when you're sitting there to decide when somebody lands something, how much of that bar has been chipped off? How much it might, it might be none. It might be a big chunk if it's a really good shot. And at the end of the round, you have to, in your mind's eye, have a look at whose energy bar is the most full. Uh, And whoever's got the most full bar wins. That's what it's about. People talk about other aspects. They talk about ring craft, and they talk about defense and other things. And these things are important, but they are all secondary to who does the better punch. Oh, you're preaching. That that is it. That is what boxing is about. All the other things feed into that. So when I hear someone say... Oh, I pre- one thing that I, I can't stand, to be honest with you, is, is when I hear someone say, "Oh, I preferred that fighter in that round because they did the cleaner work." What, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That everybody's looking to try and punch cleanly? And what I've discovered is that what generally people mean by that is they preferred the fighter who delivered their punches in a more technically correct, more pleasing on-the-eye fashion. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't matter. No. That just does not matter. It doesn't matter how you get it done. It just matters what you what you land. And that's all you're looking for. It doesn't make it easy to decide because sometimes, see, me and you are, are going at it over three minutes. I'm tit tapping away. I've landed quite a lot. And then at the end of the round, you just bosh me with two really big, strong shots. Then all of a sudden, in a matter of seconds, with your card, you're sitting there thinking, has what Wingy did there wiped out what he did for the rest of the round or not? Uh, generally speaking for me, it probably would, you know, if somebody's just landed a load of smart punches. But that's the kind of equation. And it's imperfect and it's difficult. Steve Gray got, got murdered oh, the, yeah. The, the, yeah. So a few a few that? weeks ago for his glasses of water analogy, but which Robert Smith kind of um, put out there. But that makes sense to me because that is the same principle as the energy bar. You know, he's got those two glasses of water there. Somebody lands a really decent shot, then, you know, you tip a bit of water into the one glass. It's like a scale system. That's what he's operating on there. It actually made total sense to me. But, of course, people heard it and they go on about, you know, he's got two glasses of water at ringside and all the rest of it. But (laughs) it it makes sense. It makes sense because it is a balancing act. You've got, you know, you, you start even and then at some point, somebody might just be up a little bit and then they go down a little bit or it can violently swing. And you can have somebody who's won two minutes, 40 seconds of the round. They haven't won every second of it, but they're ahead after two minutes and 40 seconds. And then one punch
0: can just take it away from them. See, you answered the question for me. I was going to give you that example. Like, let's say, for example, at, uh, well, there's two things I want to talk about. If a, let's say, a, a way fighter um, is going up against a young prospect and the young prospect is throwing all their shots but nothing is nothing is. It's sort of like bouncing off the gloves and whatnot. The, the away fighter who's got his guard up, it's not not being hurt. Then right at the end of the round lands one big bang wobbler type of punch. That's where it gets uh, murky for some people because I know a lot of people will say, "Well, he had the, the fighter, the young fight was had good volume, but that one good punch is enough to do it." That's where I think we get a lot of upset where nobody's necessarily wrong if that sort of thing is repeated over the course of a fight at the end of a scorecard. Do you see what I mean? That's where it gets murky, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. That, that, that's complicated. And that's exactly where it does become subjective. People talk about boxing being being subjective, um, but often they talk about it being subjective in terms of styles. And that's totally wrong. But as I said before, it doesn't matter what it looks like. It just matters what you land what is subjective is trying to work out what has landed and, and, and whose energy bar at the end of the round is is still the most full. It's hard. If somebody yeah. lands 20, 25 little tippy-tap shots, some of them with a bit more weight on than that, and then, like you say, at the end there, you, you, you put all of them on 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 the scales on one side, so you've got them winning the round. And then at the end of the rounds in comes one big solid shot and you see the head snap back, snap, snap back and the legs go a little bit. You plonk that on the other side of the scales. What happens then? You know, and, and that's the decision you have to make. And that is subjective because one person might think, well, I don't know if that had as much of an effect as you think it did. And that's where being ringside and watching it and watching it on TV can make things look different because on TV, you get the best the best possible view, but generally speaking, you are quite tight to the action. So you see the fighters from the the waist up, the mid thigh up a lot of the time. If you're there, then you see the whole picture and you can see their feet more. You can see their body language better. Um, so I mean, that's another thing. You know, fights can not that often, but fights can look different um, from ringside than they do on the TV. So I would always kind of reserve judgment myself when, if I'm doing it off the TV or watching a fight on the TV, and I see one thing, and then the judges at ringside have it slightly uh, differently. For, for example, on Saturday, we did, me and Barry Jones were doing the Secure Stevenson card, and we did Jose Pedraza against Julian Rodriguez on the... Yeah, I was Chief, watching that, yeah. ...on the Chief Support. And watching it um, on TV, covering it off TV, I thought the first round was pretty even and then Pedraza definitely won everything else. So 7-1 Pedraza, maybe 8-0. The three judges at ringside all had it 5-3 after eight rounds. And I saw those cards and I thought, God, that's interesting. And as I said before, I don't generally watch stuff back. I might watch that back because I'm curious. You know, those are three experienced judges. Their round scores weren't the same, um, but they all had it 5-3. Um, I didn't see a 5-3. Really, they had a 5-3-2, Rods. Pedraza, Pedraza, They had yeah, him ahead, right. Right, but 5-3 right, but right. ahead when I thought he was basically winning everything. So okay. I might have a look at that. But um, yeah, and I mean, you see, there's so much that goes into it. It, it is a really, you know, it's uh, people are absolutely obsessed with scorecards at the minute. They're completely obsessed with scores at the time of stoppages. Everybody was losing their mind on Saturday that they couldn't get a look at the scores at the time of the stoppage with Ritson against against Ponce and, and I understand it to a degree because, um, you know, you want to weed out bad scorers consistently, bad scorers if if possible. But the most redundant phrase in, in, in the whole of the sport is the scores at the time of the were
0: is they're obsolete. It, uh, yeah, it's uh, often it's to try and claw something back for a fighter that you like who's lost. lost. Well, at least he was losing. Uh, at least he was winning on the scorecard, so to speak, wasn't it? But also, I want to go back very quickly to something you say. See, we started now uh, talking scorecards. We're not going to stop. <laughs> when you said that when people say effective punching what do they necessarily mean by that? If it's still landing, it's still legit. I agree with you. I don't know if you saw uh, Derek Asaze and Tyler Denny. You probably didn't. was probably working uh, on fight zone. Re- very, very, really, really good fight. Really good fight. Asaze has got quite an open, raw, roughhouse kind of style, whereas Tyler Denny got into it a bit more and started to settle. But they were surprised that Asaze... I'm sorry, I was surprised that they didn't have Asaze winning because he was landing. He was landing, then he was getting hit, but it didn't look nice. So they weren't scoring it. And I thought, that's interesting. Similar to how you do. Sometimes you sit back and thought, that's interesting. So even though he didn't have the cleaner technical style, he was winning the rounds in my eyes. Yet experienced commentators, more experienced than me, Glenn McCrory in that, they had a Sarze winning. It's so subjective. Like, like you said, it's a I think it, it might even be a separate, might be a separate <coughs> part two podcast, which I think we, we, we need to come back to. Um all right, so let me quickly ask you. What, you work primarily with Sky Sports Boxing, but you are freelance, is that, that's, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Right, okay. With Eddie, with regards to what he's doing with The Zone, for those who don't know, Eddie has now left Sky Sports. He's going work. He's going to work exclusively with The Zone, taking his stable fighters, except Anthony Joshua, and there's a bit of a grey area with Dillian White, I believe. What are your thoughts on what Eddie's doing? My main thought is it's flipping exciting for us boxing fans, but it's a effing big risk. What what do you do? You agree with that? Do you think it's very risky what Eddie's doing? Yeah, I, and, I think. Can it, you say by the way? If you can't say, don't worry about it. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I think it is. It's a bold move. Um,
1: in terms of him doing it, as 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 the situation progressed and it went on longer and longer, and there was no kind of news as to whether he would resign with Sky or sign with DAZN. I kind of always felt that he was going to go with DAZN. The reason being that having started that relationship with him in the USA three years ago, that the Uh, there must have been at least a kind of verbal agreement that when his contract was up with Sky that he would go with the zone and otherwise what was it all for you know if he wasn't going to 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 roll that dice then kind of what was the point of it all really and we believe I don't know anybody who knows the exact figures I think he's keeping them to himself um, this time but they put a lot of money on the table uh, so much that you couldn't really say no and and they've done what they feel is best for them matchroom and, and that's all anybody does really isn't it whether you're an individual or whether you're a business you, you weigh things up and you do what you feel is in your best interests um, and that's what they've done and it is it, it's going to be a big big challenge because doing all the production doing everything yourself which is what they're doing taking it in-house does zone's basically becoming a platform for them rather than a um a broadcast platform i think would be the best way to describe it because they're going to do all the production and and staff everything and decide on everything themselves so that's that's a lot that really is a lot but it's not like they don't know that they are going into this with their eyes open but there are always things that you that you don't know you know there are always unknown unknowns and then there are always things that you thought you knew but it turns out you didn't and you know all of that, you know. Anybody who does anything new, particularly on this bigger scale, there are always going to be things that crop up. But it's not like they don't have the experience and the uh, and the know-how to cope with with that side of it. Another thing that's going to be difficult, of course, is the the visibility aspect yeah. to it, because yeah. you've got to get people aware of where you've gone and. I think that will be hard. Um, I'm sure they've got plans in place for it. There's no way that they haven't thought or examined to the nth degree anything that I'm saying here. They will have, of course, but it will be difficult. I think it will be difficult because boxing is a niche sport. We all we all know that. And they will get the hardcore. They'll get the week in week out audience without really having to do anything because they've got. They'll have good fights. Uh, but you want to try and attract more than that and on sky or on bt they can attract more than that they can attract that floating audience because because of the platform they've got and the and the ability they've got to cross promote and all those kinds of things so i think that's the main area where it'll be tricky they'll have to come up with a pretty uh, shrewd plan to cross promote it whether that's giving highlights to to a network whether that's providing some kind of hook-up with someone terrestrial, maybe the BBC, he's got his podcast on the BBC, Eddie, maybe they can do something that way. They gave that Canelo documentary to the B before Canelo against Saunders. Maybe they can try that. I I did see on the day that he announced it, it was featured quite prominently on one of the BBC front pages. And I did look at it think to myself, that's interesting because I wouldn't have thought that this was a big enough story normally to kind of... Get in that in that mix. So these are all the things that Dale have been thinking about a lot over the last over the last few months. But like you said, it, it definitely is it definitely is exciting. I've been freelance for ages. I, I I'm sticking with I'm sticking with with Sky. I've been there a long time and um, and I really really enjoy it. But having been freelance all that time, the more people covering the sport, the better. You know that that old cliche "rising tide lifts all boats" is absolutely true. Uh, And this is good for, this is good for everybody. Now that we know that Sky are completely committed to staying in boxing, because I I mean, I wondered what was going to happen. Uh, I threw my hat in the ring for Dazon and because a couple of months ago when we, when we saw the news uh, that leaked basically that that's what was happening. um, I had a quick chat with, with, uh, with Alex Sky and just said, listen, like my preferred option is to, is for boxing to stay really solid with Sky and for me to stay with 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 Sky because I've really, really enjoyed it. But I'm gonna to have to throw my hat into the ring with Jazone and Matroom because we don't know what's happening yet. And he said, Yeah, of course you 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 absolutely you have to do that. Okay. Um yeah. I mean it's been a really interesting time though, really interesting few months,
0: and it's not gonna get any less interesting. What was the general mood like around the Sky Sports boxing offices and the water cooler <laughs> once the news come out? Uh, was it a little bit of awkwardness uncomfortableness like a dour sort of mood or is it general realistic optimism about what the future holds if if you're allowed if you're able to say that
1: yeah well I mean it is now because we know we know oh, what's yeah. happening uh, when oh, yeah. when I mean I was in Poland for a youth tournament when yeah Mike Coppinger's article came out and you knew that it was that it was true you know where he's got sources is what he always says and he's got good sources so you knew that that came from somewhere legit and it didn't come as to me anyway it didn't come as a massive surprise it was what I'd been expecting Um, I think when that happened people were yeah I think people were probably pretty there was some anxiety around because you're waiting to see how how Sky going to uh, going to respond to it and, you know, I'm kind of like the only member on the team who is freelance. Everybody else is on staff. And so it was kind of easier for me because I've right. I'll been I'll be freelance forever, basically. Um, so you just get used to uncertainty. It's just, it's just part of your everyday sort of be. Um, and people were just waiting to see, to see what the response would be from from Sky and they, they mobilized quickly it was all announced towards the end of last week and now it's just genuine genuine excitement at going off and doing something doing something new working with Mattry was was great you know it was good fun I get on really well with all of them um and there's no animosity or or bitterness there they they went and did what they thought was best for them that means that what we're doing has gone in a in a different direction and it is yeah it's really it's really exciting and it kicked off last weekend and we've got these shows coming up the next two three weeks with with top rank everything changes doesn't it that was a long relationship but that was a long exclusive relationship 10 years you know that is that is a really long time i think about stuff i've done and how long it's generally lasted for and and this kind of five years that i've had with Sky is, you know in in TV, like that's by miles the longest kind of relationship I've had with any one place. So, yeah, 10
0: years is a long time. Everything comes to an end at some point. So no beef in the streets then between uh, Sky and Matchroom if you bump into each other? You don't give anyone a little shove or nothing like that, no? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> he says I don't think so. All right. Can I ask you a quick question as well? What <laughs> – I say quick question. This might turn out to be a long one. Was it pay-per-view that killed mm. – that's not the right word, that sort of dampened boxing in the UK. Do you remember back in the days, like my era of growing up, Frank Bruno, Chris Eubank on the TV, Prince Naz, these guys literally got me into boxing from wrestling and it was all on the TV. And now, just like when you were saying then, we we want people to, well, DAZN will want people to know where boxing is. It's so strange because before it was front page. Was it pay per view that killed that era of boxing? And that's a big question. But you, if anyone knows, I know you'll know.
1: I'm not sure, it, but pay per view is weird, isn't it? When you yeah. think about it, because yeah. it, it's 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 accepted by boxing fans. It, it's the source of a lot of debate as to what is and what isn't, what should and what shouldn't be. But, but they don't have this in other sports, do they? Where certain events are are given this this status yet in boxing it's just kind of arisen and now it's part of the fabric of the sport and we all just accept that it that it has to happen i don't really know the answer to the question actually i mean it's i mean i remember those times so i remember those times as well and people always hark back to terrestrial tv days um like they were some kind of like golden Halcyon era and, and in, in a sense they were because obviously you're watching all your sport free, like when everything was on ITV and BBC, but the amount of coverage that the sport gets now is way, way, way more than it ever was when we just had terrestrial TV available. And I think once, once things become commercialized to the extent where you're paying for stuff, so cable first, then the natural progression from there are taking it one step further and going Onto pay per view. I just think it's inevitable. That's just that's just economics. I mean, that's not really a great answer, to be honest. But
0: it's hard, though, uh, is it? It's a hard question. I specifically remember my old man at the time, God, God bless his soul, my dad, <clears> saying, Right, <throat> we're not watching that next NAS fight because I ain't paying for it. And I felt, I remember being young at the time. So that, so it, it, uh, uh, Prince Naz's first pay per view must have been um, uh, uh, not as, what's what i looking for? Not as uh, far back. Sorry, the first pay-per-view must have been further back than I thought is what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I mean? We kind of think it's a recent thing, but I remember my dad saying that specifically, but it's weird. It's weird. And like yourself, I I I want to see box, really want to see boxing do well. Do you know and are you able to say anything about Boxer on Sky? Because all we know is that the guys that done the ultimate boxing uh, uh, tournament, oh, it's the guy that done that. That's all we know. Or do you guys have an announcement coming? If you can't say anything, please don't. Just wondered if there's anything you're able to give, give us some tidbits. Right. And any other UK promoters? I think Adam Smith said it's not it's not an open door, but they're willing to listen. Is that correct? So, if yeah,
1: yeah that, that's pretty much it. I, I don't know exactly what Adam said, but, um, yeah, it's skyroper for business I think is kind of the the message yeah, yeah. that he was yeah. that he was putting out there and as far as I know that that is the that's the situation that's that's the case and it, it's going to be challenging obviously because matching we've got a lot of fighters uh, and Frank Warren has got a lot of fighters but it can definitely be done it can definitely be done you know you look at things can things can change too things can change quite quickly in, in boxing at times. And to have this many potential platforms available, if you're a boxer now means that you've got a lot of choice, which, which previously people didn't always, didn't always have. And if you're not signed with one of the major promoters, then all of a sudden, you know, this is going to be very, very interesting news. And there might be more fighters out there who, it's quite, it's quite a bold approach to, to steer your own ship and not really want to be attached permanently or, or long-term to one particular one particular ship, if you like. You like to dart around a few different ones. That would be more doable now, I think, that kind of sole trader um, approach. So it's, I can't wait to
0: see what's going to happen in, yeah. in August, September, october time i really i really can't see i this is what i said on my last podcast I actually had a little special on it discussing what what it might mean for sky and for me in a way it's quite it's quite exciting because people forget that with box uh, i've seen a lot of people saying well boxer we're not going to know where their fighters are well 10 years ago when eddie hearn started some of his fighters as things gone on you didn't necessarily know and sky are able to do um, little documentaries on fighters, which is really important on like a young fighter, um, uh, uh, show pieces, little hit hit pieces. And all this can add to the narrative of fans watching for fighters who fight on the boxer platform. Do you understand what I mean? Because that sort of thing I think is import- really important. It's underrated, like documentaries, little interviews. You get to see a boxer's character. A fighter might not even be the best fighter technically, but when you get invested in his character... You can build somebody really big, and I think that that might happen with boxer because we don't know nothing about boxer. Yet. Can you see that sort of route for Sky? Do little documentaries for for fighters on boxer and whatnot? Well, I guess you would, wouldn't you? Because it's, it's Sky, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. that I think that kind of thing, yeah, could could well be a part of it. I, I think you know, seeing more stuff like that, and not not the return of of ringside, um, <laughs> but something just stuff, just more stuff just more stuff I think around the fights um, maybe on a digital platform things like that uh, I think I think that's a possibility um, and you do need to do that I think when particularly when you're doing something new like you said and, and you need to introduce people you need to give people a reason to care about somebody a reason to want to watch them and um, and that's what's that that that's all about and it's a different world now, isn't it? It's not, it's not the case that you would have to give over an hour long slot or a half hour to, to, to a magazine show. You can, you can do little bite-sized things, um, online and that's what everybody's doing and that's how everybody consumes that kind of, that kind of stuff now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a strong chance that, that there'll be quite
0: a lot of, um, quite a lot of that. Thoughts on, okay, you're Steve Gray's boss, the referee. What do you say to him after that Ritz and stoppage where the towel was thrown in and he threw it out? What's the first thing you say to Steve Gray?
1: If I'm at the British Foxy
0: Border Control, yeah. I think,
1: I mean, that that is a really interesting one because when, when things like that happen, people, I understand why there was a really strong reaction to that. But what, what it tells you often is that quite a lot of people, again, watching, Don't really know what the what the rules and regulations are, and and that's fine. Like that's not Hundred percent agree.
0: Hundred percent
1: agree. That's not even a criticism because I don't expect everybody to, you know, sit down and and read this, which is the rules of regs you get set by the (laughs) by the British Boxing Board of Control. But. What he did, there was nothing, you know. The, the, what he did was completely within his remit. So that the border control will obviously know that, you know. Only the referee can stop the fight. Uh, throwing the towel in is an interesting one because it's become the accepted way since way back of, of stopping a fight. But it's not actually what you should do. You should, you should, you know, alert your corner inspector or, or supervisor. Tell them that you want to stop it, and then they should really communicate that information to the referee. Um, get up on the ring apron if they have to, even. And get the fight stopped. But people throw the towel in now. It it is a fairly imperfect system because sometimes the towel will come in and the referee doesn't even know where it's from. Um uh, anybody could take a white towel to with them to ringside. Um so it's not it, it's not the best way of, of of doing it necessarily. But I mean that's that's a that's a separate issue. But he's perfectly within his rights to throw the towel back out if he feels that the fighter has maybe got a bit more to come and that the decision from the corner has been a little bit Premature. It's not because he wants him to stay in there and receive more punishment. He just generally feels like, actually, I think you've jumped the gun a bit there. I think your kid's got more left than you think he has. And, you know, I just want him to, I just want to give him a chance to show that. That was was all that was with Steve. It wasn't kind of, it wasn't some kind of ego thing. It wasn't, you know, I know better than you, you know, get your towel out of my ring. I won't have anybody stopping the fight. I'm the referee. I'll decide when the fight stops. It wasn't that. All it was, was a judgment from a very, very experienced ref who is closer to the action than anybody else. And he thought that Richson, you know, maybe wasn't struggling quite as badly as the caller thought he, were, he was and that he wanted to just see if he was right. Um, and, you know, pe- people always criticise the board and they say, oh, there'll be no transparency and, and Steve Gray, nobody will talk to Steve Gray, you know, everybody will just get brushed under the carpet. They will talk to him about it. I know they will. They they do, do these things, they just don't do them in public. And we saw him go into the into the changing rooms afterwards and match yeah, managed to capture to that with it, their Yeah, yeah Mattrin captured that with their their fine night footage and their guys are everywhere. Um, so it wasn't Steve giving an interview because the, the board wouldn't allow that. But we we heard his explanation and and it seemed to me to be a perfectly a perfectly reasonable one. But when these things happen in the heat of the moment, that's a very dramatic thing to happen, to see a referee throw a towel back out and it's going to generate a lot of emotion and instant reaction um, because you just don't see it. Everybody was talking about Mickey Van with Wicke Cedis and I remember Arthur McCante Jr. did it with, with Miguel Cotto and Yuri Foreman. That was the one that kind of sprang to mind for me. But it, it's really rare. It's really, really, really rare. And I think that's why...
0: Um, and you know, it's going to be a massive talking point, isn't it? Have you seen much of fight zone at the app? And do you know about what they're doing? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. So me and Matt, they're doing a, me and Matt clean. are doing a podcast with
1: Dennis Hobson tomorrow. So we'll get onto that with him. Definitely. I haven't really seen too much of it. I've got it, but, um, I've seen bits. I, I I've, I've got to say it looks really good. I, I think the way they've done it is really, really good. Um, the people they use are great. Um, it's looked great, you know, particularly with the good weather in recent weeks. It's just looked, it's looked tremendous. And again, it's it's another, that's another great avenue for fighters to be able to go down. Um, it's got off to a really, really good start. I don't know what the, I don't know what the numbers are like for it, but I do know from talking to Dennis the other day that they've, Internationally, it's getting taken by, by a lot of countries. And, and he's a man like Dennis, who he knows how to get things done. You think of everything he did with, with Hatton, um, Stewie Hall, Stewie, Stewie Hall. Hall. Yeah. Jamie, Jamie McDonnell. Um, they got that fight, didn't they? His world title fight outdoors in, in Doncaster. He knows how to, he knows how it all works. He knows how to do deals. Um, yeah, I, I think visually, if you like, um,
0: Just the whole look of it, I think, has been good. I've been impressed. My concern is I want to know how many people outside of the hardcores they're going to draw in when they've got the prospects facing away corner fighters. So me and you, obviously, hardcore, we understand that prospects have to fight these these certain fighters. But a lot of the away fighters will keep the gloves up and they'll just take shots, take shots. And and it can be quite one-sided. I'll enjoy watching it because I like learning about the prospects, looking at what they're doing, but I don't know if the mainstream are going to grab onto the free card, the free undercards where that takes place. And from there transition to subscription. Do you see what I'm saying? That's my only concern, whether it's going to capture people in that kind of way.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's, like we were saying previously, boxing is a niche sport. It is yeah. a niche sport. It's got it's got a dedicated week in, week out following, as loads of sports do. Loads of sports are uh, every sport's a niche, really, apart from football, because that's just got this massive um, appeal, just society wide. Uh, it's got tentacles that stretch much, much wider than any other sport by an absolute mile. Probably wider than every other sport put together. Everybody else is it is a niche, of varying the varying sizes and you will get people who will watch anything and you'll get people who will watch some of it uh, with boxing as we know but, but where boxing is different is that unlike other sports outside football it can gather a huge audience for certain things but outside of that um, you know you're preaching to the converted aren't you it's, yeah. it's so there's a limit to how to how big something like Fight Zone or, or Box Nation before it uh, people have been talking about Matchroom going to the zone as being similar to Box Nation. It is and it isn't. It is because, again, it's the same audience, but it's also not because, you know, the budget is so, so much different. Um, I think if you're doing anything like that, like Fight Zone, then you've just got to be realistic about about the kind of numbers you're going to, you're going to get. And probably, I got the impression we were talking to Dennis that he's, you know, he's, he's he's a very ambitious bloke and he likes to win and, and he's had a, you know, hugely successful career outside of boxing and, and also inside inside boxing. But he's also doing this because he just likes being involved in the sport um, and he likes the idea of giving fighters a platform and they want to do well, but that's not what it's all about. That's not just what it's about with him, definitely.
0: I absolutely love it because we get to see these area level sort of <laughs> fights. We get to see the Southern type of fights, which unless you go to a small hall, you're not going to get to see. So I really do like what they're doing. I just... I think I get, ner- like you're saying, we live boxing. I get a little bit nervy, nervous for boxing, anything, be it at Sky, be it at Matchroom, be it at the zone, be it at Fight Zone. I always want it to do well. Do you know what I mean? So that's fine. I, I think
1: one thing that could be really interesting with with the Sky coverage coming up in the, over the next season, and I I don't know this, this is just a guess on my part, but I completely agree about area title fights, for example. Yeah, I love we've, it. We've done a handful of area title fights on Sky over the last few seasons, and generally, They've been on uh, the Facebook coverage. I remember doing one with Matt in Birmingham, Adam Harper against Ryan Kelly, which I think was 96-94. Harper, really, really good fight. Uh, I've done a few. I've done quite a few down the years for various people on various things like the Matching fight pass and and NTK um, and and area title fights. Deliver. They're fantastic. English title fights do as well. Now we've had more English title fights on on Sky than than we will have had area title fights but the area title fight is generally something that wouldn't have made it onto that kind of platform hopefully that might change that we'll see more of those kinds of fights on TV um, on Sky because they are they are really really good fights possibly on
0: Boxer possibly
1: yeah they're, yeah, they're, they're just really really good fights because it's the first title you can win so for some fighters that might be as high as they go so it means a lot for others, it might be the first step on the ladder. So again, it means a lot. And they—they they, over the years from from watching boxing, for me anyway, area title fights are the most consistent in in the fact that they deliver just unbelievable, unbelievable action. So I would be, yeah, I would be, I would be chuffed. You know, if we ended up doing the odd show, which was kind of like two or three area title fights, or a couple of area title fights, or one and an English title fight, or something like that, you know. It's that would be, you know, that'd be that'd be a joy to be honest.
0: And finally, I have to get your thoughts on this. When I listened to um, Matt Christie's uh, boxing podcast, really enjoyable, and on the, uh, uh, the last episode, he was talking. Almost damage control in the fact that he put Floyd Mayweather and uh, Logan Paul on the cover. And he got quite passionate about it, saying he was annoyed at how certain people uh, judged him and uh, left comments toward him for putting them on the cover. What are your thoughts post Mayweather, Logan Paul? I know, obviously, you work for Sky, but I get the pressure. you know, you're an honest guy. Was it bad for boxing? Did it damage boxing? What was your feel of the whole event now that we've had a few days uh, uh, afterwards? Honestly, I don't think it does. I don't think it does damage boxing. I I don't...
1: All of this stuff, like the YouTube stuff and, and exhibitions and all that kind of thing, I don't classify it as proper boxing, if you like. I don't classify it as something that really sits directly in my line of vision when it comes to what I do for a living it's there it's but it's on the periphery mm. and that's fine that's fine you know and this was an exhibition you know nobody was saying that this was a proper fight nobody was saying that this is a real fight for floyd mayweather it was it was a circus all of boxing is a bit of a circus we we all know that but this in particular this is a real circus and they're trying to attract us much attention to it as they possibly can. Uh, And and these lads like Logan Paul and Jake Paul, they're they're amazing at that. Like I was watching the the press conference. Uh, I do the research for the Sky team too. So I had to, you know, write stuff for for this. And I was watching the press conference where Jake Paul nicked Mayweather's hat. And, uh, And I was laughing to myself as I saw it. I was laughing to myself. I thought, these guys are so good at this. They're so good at this. And with someone like Mayweather, you never really know whether he was in on that or not. If he was, then it was a tremendous piece of work by him. But that is absolutely possible, and that's the whole pantomime aspect of it. And then it goes eight rounds, and people are unhappy with that. Then you've got Jake Paul saying that Logan Paul just beat Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> it just doesn't. It just doesn't matter. It wasn't a proper fight. It doesn't matter. Um, I, I, I don't see how. How it damages the sport, I really don't. And that's not just a, a party line answer because it was on Sky. It, it, these things for me, that there is professional boxing, which is what we all follow, and then there is this other stuff. And so long as everybody, so long as everybody walks away safe and healthy, that's my only concern with, with the yeah. YouTube boxing because we saw Jake Paul, you know. Ice Nate Robinson, um, and that was annoying because and Nate Robinson, Nate Robinson, I thought disrespected the sport there because he obviously hadn't done any training, he had uh, any boxing training. He obviously hadn't bothered to try and learn any boxing technique whatsoever. He just thought I'm an NBA player, I'm an athlete. He's not. This will be fine. And whatever you want to say about someone like Jake Paul, he obviously does go to the gym. He obviously does go to the gym and he obviously does train because, you know, you can see in what he's trying to do when, whenever I've seen him fight that he is trying to box. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't... I just... It's just... It's an add-on. It's an add-on. And it does bring some eyes some to the sport, some, lots of eyeballs to the sport for a brief period. I don't think many of them stay. You know, I really don't think they do. People People talk about that a lot, don't they? You know or it'll attract new viewers to the sport you're not going to watch that and then the week after watch fight zone. you know you're not going to watch mayweather Paul, for the, and, and watch boxing for the first time and think this is amazing uh, and then buy fight zone. and that's not going to happen but the longer these people stay around the sport it might bring some new some new traffic towards boxing on a on a regular basis but, i mean that that could happen i thought this would be i thought this would have fizzled out by now to be honest but it's not is it
0: we get out we get out a few more of these I I think I, I might be wrong, but I do think that Jake Paul might actually be. I think he might actually be a problem because the Tyron Woodley fight. I don't know. I, I don't know any UFC. I don't watch UFC, but I've done my research on him, just looking into it. And yes, obviously he's what thirty nine, but this seems like for a amateur, a, a, a new pro at this stage of their career. This is a good opponent if you think about the sort of opponents that uh, boxers face at, uh, in their fourth, fifth fight often with multiple losses on their records. This, yes, it's a debutant, but I think it's a decent opponent. So I think Team Jake Paul and... Um, uh, oh, God, I forgot. Uh, BJ Flores, uh, who, team, uh, who train him, I think they know a little bit more than we do about Jake Paul. And I think Jake Paul... I don't think it's all a claptrap when he talks. I actually think he knows that he's okay for someone at that level. He's pretty good because he's got time to train with the professionals. What's your assessment of Jake Port as a boxer? Sorry, I did say last question, just this one, that's it.
1: No, it's fine. I, um, I, so I, I, I did his fight against Anderson Gibb. That was on that Andre Keeler show. And, and what you could tell from that was that he'd been in the gym. You, was that a YouTuber he, that guy he faced? I didn't, yeah, yeah. What you could tell from that was that he'd been in the gym. What he was doing was recognisable as boxing. Um, alison gibb was completely hopeless um he just was There's there's no there's no other way to say it he was i'm afraid i don't want to it just come out and then against nate robinson again you can see that he'd improved and, and he does train he does train and you can say whatever else you like about him if someone's prepared to get into the gym and put that graft in and you can see the improvement then you have to say um that they're taking it seriously uh, and and i do believe that he is taking it seriously. Um, I think his team and him, you know, these are clever guys. Like you, you, it's not like you catch them talking seriously in unguarded moments because they there's no such thing as an unguarded moment it's with all, them. All they, they know the media so well. But every now and again, they will just talk honestly. And you can hear it when they do it, when they talk about... They'll say, like, look, I know I'm not the best fighter in the world, but, you know, and then they'll just outline their plans. Jake Paul's got no intention yet of fighting a proven professional boxer because he knows that that's too much. Um, but the people that he's taking on, you know, they're, you, like, like Robinson, for example, if he had bothered to do some boxing training, uh, on paper, a an average Joe, if you want to describe Jake Paul as, as that, in terms of his athletic background, taking on, an NBA player. Like, I know they're not playing basketball, but even so, like, that's, Lexicism, yeah. that's pretty bold, I think. Uh, and, and we, we saw what happened because, because like I said, Robinson just hadn't done any, hadn't done any training. But I mean, my, my, my concern about the whole thing from the very start was the fact that they were licensed as pros. Uh, and, and when you've got rookies, absolute rookies, like Logan Paul and KSI were when they, when they boxed in Los Angeles, I didn't feel they should have been licensed as pros because those small gloves are dangerous and anyone can catch anyone, particularly when you've got two people of that kind of standard that somebody could get hurt. And that was my, that was my fear when I saw Robinson crash down to the campus. I just thought, you know, my, my biggest fear about this all along has been that licensing them as pros straight away, like they did was, was wrong and i do think it was wrong but i wouldn't have any problem as we go along now jake paul being licensed as an actual professional is he going to be any worse than other people who, who get licensed as as pro boxers in any number of states in the usa i'd say by now no, no he wouldn't be
0: well andy clark you have been so generous with your time Um, despite having uh, Leonard Ellaby trying to bash your door down continually, we managed to get through it. (laughs) When you're talking about the Floyd fight, he wasn't happy with you, but we managed to get through it. Um, uh, I want to also give a shout out to, uh, there he is again. I want to give a shout out to (laughs) Macklin's take. I'm very, very fussy with my podcast and people know this. And I think I was on my second or third show of my podcast when i have done my return after having a break. I shouted your podcast out it's the perfect balance. It's the perfect balance of you've got yourself with the cool boxing knowledge and a nice cadence on the mic. You've got Matthew Macklin, obviously who knows his stuff. And then you get the guests. It all blends really well. Excellent, excellent podcast. I want to congratulate you two on that podcast. Where can people find that, first of all, before I forget? So thanks, first of all, because that
1: that's basically what we were going for. You know, we really enjoy doing it and we want to keep it lighthearted, but we want to keep it kind of... Uh, it's for the hardcore basically you know we assume a lot of knowledge on behalf of the people who listen to it and that's why we're able to just just let it flow and let it ride i never really want to interrupt too much you just you just see where it goes uh trusting that the people who are tuning in for it they're following what you're what you're talking about and we really really enjoy it um really enjoy it and we're going to keep doing it for well we're just going to keep doing it because it's fun um you can get it in all the normal places, audio podcast-wise. So, yeah, iTunes, Spotify, all all of that. Uh, It comes out on sort of late Monday nights normally. We've got one going up uh, tonight. It's Monday as we record this with Mike Altamura. Uh, And he's a good example of the, you know, we get all sorts of people on. And obviously the bigger names do better numbers, but that's not what it's about for us. Um, And Mike is an international manager, fixer agent people in boxing know him really well he's got a really interesting backstory and just is right in the guts of the sport and knows it inside out and speaking to people like him and you know he's kind of an international John Pegg if, if that makes if that makes sense to people um you know it's really really it's really interesting uh, and people are really generous with their time and uh, they seem to enjoy coming on um, we're hoping to do hoping to get hold of Steve farhood for a deep dive into uh Leonard Duran, the first fighter did this week at some point as well. Um it's kind of therapy. it was during lockdown anyway. During you know early days of that, you know, it was it was it was a great kind of outlet to, just to be able to talk about something that wasn't happening currently and, and didn't seem to have much prospect of happening for a while. Uh but I'm the same as you I'm quite fussy with mine. I I um Triss's. I really like Triss's Boxing life stories—that's a good one. Um, and the boxing news, yeah, it's a good format podcast, isn't it? I only discovered it probably about two or three years ago.
0: Yeah, it is. It is and <laughs> with your podcast, often because like. A- sometimes i go back and catch it i can't catch it all the time every week but i go back and the bigger names are great but it's the if i see a name that i don't recognize i actually enjoy that because it's like oh who's that and then it's somebody like you said who's deep in the guts of the sport maybe like a a, a a manager but they've got an interest in history and just how you two bounce off each other it really really works and you're learning as you get it so yeah shout out to that i don't shout out many but it's a really really good podcast uh and also also Chris Congo's sister. She she uh, she's got a food situation going on. She, I believe, she's a chef and um, a Shafiq, A lot of people that I interview have food connections. He's got a restaurant and whatnot. You have a food connection, chocolate connection when it got when it comes to grub. What's the deal with sorting your boy out some samples, brother? And what is it? <laughs> we can do that. Yeah,
1: we can do that. So my wife runs a company called the Cocoa Chocolate, and she started it about. So back end of 2014, start of 2015, I was quite heavily involved to start with to help get it off the ground, but, but not really anymore. Um, yeah, it's amazing what she's done with it. Um, she, she was doing it from a second bedroom of a two bedroom flat. We were living in as well as working full time originally. Uh, then we moved out and she went full time, but it was still in the house, kind of in a, um, in a kind of like big shed, I guess you describe it as at the bottom of the sort of small garden. So, um, and now it's in an archway in Bermondsey um, and it's a proper factory. It's it's amazing to to look at it and go down there and to, to think about where it started and where it is now. And she's, she's looking for investment at the minute. She's got a few exciting things coming up and yeah, it's, it's it, lecocochocolate.com is where you can go if you want to, if you want to buy any. It's, it's, it's premium dark chocolate mainly, but there's also milk chocolate, white chocolate, nut butters, hot chocolate, Stuff like that. It is. It's not cheap. I'm not going to lie, but it's uh, it's good stuff. And what was really cool as well was that during lockdown, because she moved into the new premises, which was a big commitment for us and took quite a lot of our money. We funded it ourselves so far, just before COVID. And I mean, just before start of February. So as soon as that happened, you think you are thinking to yourself, what is going to happen now? Yeah. What is going to happen now? Because We discovered it could stay open because it's a food business. It's hardly essential food. Well, for some people it is actually. Um, But obviously all the stock has disappeared because all the shops were shut and then you're relying on selling online. And and that just took off, it just exploded. And people I know in, in, in and around boxing, loads of people bought chocolate online. And I could see quite a few definitely bought more than they really needed to, or it seemed to me like they did anyway. And it was just really, really sweet when you see people just kind of rallying around a bit. Um, yeah, that was good. That was really, really good. So everybody who did that, thanks very much. Um, she's quite into boxing, Amber, Actually, She did a bit of training at really? Repton for, not Repton at Islington for a while. So I've kind of forced her into, into that to an extent. She comes to shows, well, she, when, when, when people were able to go to shows, she used to come to shows, um, yeah, yeah, she's she's just left the house actually a few couple of hours ago to go off and do something up north, which uh, she's quite so excited about. So uh, we had a bit of a bit of an explosion in interest as well around Black Lives Matter because it's a, uh, she owns a business um, and she's Nigerian, well Brit- British Nigerian. So we had a lot of people kind of come to us around around that time with what I would describe as varying motives. But...
0: uh, (laughs) That's very well put, politely put. But still, it was all cash in the register. Yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. Um, And she... uh, This is physically made chocolate. It's not imported. you actually make... She actually... No, that's it, yeah.
1: She imports the beans. So she imports sacks of beans from different places. So Guatemala uh belize dominican republic haiti ghana i think uh it's quite a new one as well so yeah you get you get sacks of beans and then you roast she them makes up it and you, doesn't she yeah. yeah 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 you roast it up and you grind it into the whole thing the whole thing so when we used wow. to live basically where it started where it very first started was a one-bedroom flat we were living in there in and around chalk farm and in a, in a kind of like mansion block and we were on the second floor and the lift was absolutely tiny. If you watch like Poirot or something like that, you know, those old mansion blocks where, <laughs> uh, where the uh, lift- My mum can... used to watch that. <laughs> yeah, right. So where the lift could basically fit one person in it with the kind of screen thing, you know, and you look at it and just think, how pointless is that? Uh, the, the, the lift was like that. So moving in was a real pain in the ass. But anyway, so we would get these sacks of of, um, of beans, like seventy kilo sacks, just like delivered to a residential address. And the, the lad who's in the van is thinking, like, this can't be right because he's expected to deliver to a factory or something like that. And then I would get, you know, the buzzer would go during the day, and it'd be these sacks of beans, and you know, you'd somehow to get them up the flat, like, end up dragging them upstairs and and all sorts. You know, it, it's it's mad, like, how the whole thing is is has just gathered steam, and and now it's. Uh, now, now it's just a completely, completely different thing altogether. But the early days were just crazy stuff. You know, you're it's all hands to the pump. There's so many things you don't know. Um, so many times I would just be there yeah, just like halfway up the flight of stairs, sweating, trying to drag something up, you know, to the flat. And there's people just kind of stepping over you and walking around you, never offering to help. I can see you're struggling, but never offering to help. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's she's a real kind of, um, she's very determined, very, very determined. So it'll get where it needs to go, I think.
0: Well, I might sort my wife out some, she'd like that, she, she likes chocolate, and say, this is premium, you know, and I'll actually print off the receipt and put the price of it there. Yeah, she do can... it, do it. <laughs> do so it, just, just be... so she doesn't just wolf it down all in one go without <laughs> yeah, really thinking yeah. about it. Savour it, savour it. Andy, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You're giving a shout out to the podcast where people can find you. What's your uh, Instagram? My Instagram is at Mr. Andy Clark. Uh, same for Twitter. I don't, I don't tend to go onto Instagram all that much.
1: Not not for any particular reason. Um, uh, yeah, I, li- I like Twitter. I don't engage loads, but it's a great way for for keeping in touch with what's going on. Cool. Um it's a good good spell ring at the isn't it? Because, you know, there's 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 still a couple of shows over the next couple of weeks and the Euros as well, you know. That that sort of snuck up on me, but just being able to you know, today I don't have loads to do today. I'll probably do some stuff on uh, on in a way against Das Marinas I've got the card three for that. So uh, Michaela May's on it as well. So I'll do some stuff on that, but safe in the knowledge that, you know, there's plenty of football just to sit down and and watch even in the background. Um it's just great to see crowds, isn't it? Even if it's not full, it's just great to see. It's just so
0: much better. Like watching football with no one in the stadium, it's barks, isn't it? It's a weird, it's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling, and uh I hope at some point in the future you do tell another referee to wind their neck mm. in because that was almost a highlight of the shackle Stevenson fight. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> that, that just sort of came out. It was just. Um, I loved it. I loved it. But it's so honest. That's what I loved about it. You, you it, I could feel you genuinely peed off. Okay, it was, fru- I'm, it was just I'm going to take a point off. Yeah, I'm going to take a point off. It was just frustrating,
1: wasn't it? You know. Yeah. To, it was stupid. To get obsessed stupid. about front feet clashing with, with an orthodox against a Southport, I've never really seen anyone do that before. It's just, it's, uh, anyway, anyway. It, it didn't quite, it was slightly frustrating fight that. I think frustrating for Stevenson too, because Nakathila, he just didn't try and win, did he? Um, yeah. And Barry was kind of more critical of that than than me, which kind of balanced itself out quite well, I thought, because I understand, I understood why he did what he did. Because it was just a different stratosphere to the one he'd been operating on before, so I did understand that it just made it for a bit of a, a bit of a frustrating watch. But just still good to see him, you know, Stevenson's. Um, very interested to see him fight Jamel Herring. I mean, that's a hard oh, fight for him. That's a real hard yeah, fight
0: for it, him. It, that's what I think, because he's going, I'm going to decapitate Jamel Herring and all of this lot. It's a tough fight especially if you're going in there thinking, right, this old man, 35, it's a tough fight. He's got to get near him. He can't be sitting back waiting to do that counter stuff with Herring. Herring's too long for that. Oof, I can't Yeah, wait. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult
1: fight. Herring was great against Frampton.
0: Yeah. Um, Frampton was never really a super featherweight.
1: I mean, we all love Carl. He's just just such a great lad and, and what a career. Uh, was never really a super featherweight. And as it turned out on the night, it just wasn't quite there anymore. But Herring was really, really good that night. Really good. So... I mean, I do make that that a difficult, difficult, difficult fight for him.
0: Excellent. Right. Well, hopefully we can do a few months down the line of part two because there's so many things I want to talk to you about, my good brother. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, People know where to catch you. People, check out Wingy's Boxing Bites on Apple, Spotify, Google, all your podcast services. Much love again to Andy Clark. Thank you very much, sir, and we will catch up with you very soon. No problem. Thanks. Thank you, brother. I mean the footwork, a light he glided round that ring, hitting him with jabs at will, touching him, explosive with it. It was like shades of Ali the way he was moving moving.